0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Pastor Talk podcast. We continue on with our latest series, uh, the Jesus Jargon series, where we sort of look at uh, what might be some... Maybe insider kind of language, words you might hear in church and that just don't necessarily uh, make themselves obvious as to what they mean. And I think today's word is maybe a great example of one of those words. Uh, We sometimes find ourselves talking about uh, being an ecumenical church. Maybe another way that you hear it is. uh, ecumenism and this sort of larger idea of what it means to be uh, a unified church across denominations, different countries, different sort of times and places. And it's an important conversation, uh, but not necessarily always easy to make clear lines of the boundaries in different places.
1: I think this is the first word that we have encountered that probably would not be used by all churches, you know salvation, mission, conservative, liberal. These are terms that probably are in the the vocabulary of just about every church tradition. When we talk ecumenical, I think not every church brings the same understanding of what that means. And essentially, it means to cooperate with other churches or work together to kind of see past some of our differences and Work toward unis, unity and oneness in spite of being separated in denominational or theological lines. But there would be um, historically some exceptions to that very, very conservative churches, um, Catholic and Protestant would be less inclined to do partnerships historically. And so ecumenical is not a word in those contexts that you're going to hear very often. On the other hand, in the Presbyterian tradition, ecumenical has been important to us. The idea of cooperating with other churches, of working together, of, of recognizing in our various traditions the core of discipleship and of faith has been an important thread for us. And so in in our tradition, it's something that you would hear more often. It may not be a word you're familiar with, but I, I do think in those places where it has mattered, it, it has been a pretty important word.
0: For Presbyterians, we are already people of the book. We're generally pretty academic as a culture. And if you go to a Presbyterian seminary today and you use this word ecumenical, you're going to generate a lot of conversation about theology. There, there's a real sense from our own vantage as we look at the theologies of certainly the reformed churches or uh, those sort of Protestant denominations that come out of the Reformation. We've had a lot of conversations with Lutherans. We've had conversations with Methodists. We've even, on some level, uh, though farther uh, down the line, we've had conversations with Anabaptists. Um, Just conversations about what we sort of where we land on the theological spectrum. And and those conversations have involved things like the Lord's Supper and about uh, what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be laity, what's the church's sort of orientation to state, some of these sort of classical Protestant sort of conversations. I I, I bring this up to say... I think we do have a sort of basic temptation as Presbyterians to think of ecumenical sort of relationships as being very thought-heavy, about how can we sort of find connecting points in our theology? What makes that maybe a very tenuous sort of point in the conversation is, uh, number one, not everyone has access to that. I mean, in other words, to talk about uh, how can we sort of find shared understandings of the Lord's Supper presupposes that you understand your own position on the Lord's Supper and theologically how that works, and that you could then therefore understand someone else's. So so it's sort of uh, elusive in that way that it requires some level of access to even begin that conversation. Another is, you know, I I do think there were times and days in which the denominational barriers did have more theological import. In other words, someone who went to a Presbyterian church likely defined themselves as believing Presbyterian things, and that still exists. I don't want to suggest it doesn't, but I do think we live in a world where some of those boundaries are a little more porous. Where. People go to a church that worships similarly to another place they worship, but they may not uh, really emphasize or demand that that church lines up on a particular theology or in a particular theological strain. And so I think we may naturally be drawn to being ecumenical. Simply because we're a little bit more flexible in sort of what we consider to be in range for a lot of different Christians today, I don't know if you agree with that, Clint.
1: I think so. I I think that if we if we consider ecumenism, ecumenism as cooperation, in in other words, ecumenical meaning, working together and recognizing one another's uh, theological traditions, there are some limitations to that. You know, when I visit a Catholic church, because of the way they understand communion, they practice a closed table. Now, that doesn't mean in that moment they're not ecumenical. It means that there is a theological barrier there that is not easily crossed. The same (laughs) would be true on the other end of the spectrum if I, at some point in my life, join a Baptist church. I have served as a pastor, but it wouldn't matter. They would not consider that I've been baptized because I was baptized as an infant. In other words, they have a theological understanding that really wouldn't allow for cooperation in that same sense of honoring one's practice. In in the middle you have something like the presbyterian church and and here at first when we practice communion we give the standard invitation if you belong to a church if you belong to the faith come and have communion with us we we practice a kind of openness that our theolo- our theological underpinnings allow for and our our specific understandings of the lord's supper give us that freedom to be Invitational in that sense And so I, I don't think That ecumenical always means That we get along On every issue But I, I do think it means There's this sense of recognizing One another's traditions And and you know That's not easily done There are thousands of denominations There are thousands of different ways That churches organize themselves And function as congregations And in many cases, those things um, have some pretty significant differences that get in the way. In other instances, you know, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, I, I think you're exactly right, Michael. I think you could walk in and out of those churches without really considering the fact that your theological landscape had shifted. You would think, oh, the Methodists oh, I guess they kneel, or the Lutherans, oh, they say trespasses instead of debts. But I don't think you'd have a sense that, whoa, this place is really different. Now, if we go visit a Pentecostal church or an, even an Episcopal church, we're going to have a different experience. We're going to say, whoa, this isn't like w- what I'm used to. But in spite of that, there can be a recognition of partnership and working together. And and I think at its core, that's what we mean by ecumenical.
0: I think if you're going to trace what it means to be ecumenical back to its root, it very much lives even before the Reformation. So what we sometimes forget as Protestants is that there were reformations within the Catholic Church for years, hundreds of years, before the Reformation capital R that we think of and speak of as as Protestants and Reformed people. And the Church had this sort of, not regular, but but also – not infrequent cycle of where someone would come and they would see a disparity theologically or maybe even practically in the church, and they would call the church, the Roman Catholic Church, to reform, to be changed. There were lots of movements that came out of that. In fact, something like um, the Benedictine sort of monks, that, that whole process came out of someone seeing a place where the church wasn't living up to its call and then the church sort of uh, encapsulating this new sort of movement, this new kind of energy. And there's a sense in which that by its nature is ecumenical because it affirms that though we may have differences of perspective on on what this theological thing means or what we're called to be as Christians, it always existed within the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. The institution had enough room to sort of grow with these differing ideas and practices. It was at the Reformation, when we had these conversations with Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and, and all of these others, that we began to realize that this split might be such that it couldn't be unified. You couldn't just put a band on it, that the institutional Roman church wouldn't grow to encapsulate these groups. And when that happened, the conversation of ecumenical became serious and sustained. Even uh, Luther and Calvin wrote extensively about what it means to be one body in Christ, this idea that we have written throughout all of the scriptures, that we're called to be people unified in the truth of who Jesus is. And, and clearly, they were aware of the fact that this dividing from the church that they had uh, historically called their own was in itself a kind of schisming of the unity that the church was called to. And so they reflected and wrote on this. Uh, Of course, they believed that the issues that they were raising were so substantial that there was no other way. But they also reflected that uh, even with all of their vicious words and fighting with the Roman Catholic Church, these writers at their best were willing to confess, yet that that Christ is even in that fellowship, even if it's tarnished or even if it's hard to see, there was an awareness that we cannot always identify the exact work of Jesus Christ. And so the ecumenical spirit is one who humbly is willing to recognize that even though they may worship differently, even though their theology may lay upon a different path, that it is is likely that Jesus is alive and at work in that place. And so the ecumenical vision is one to say, while we will be in different places, we won't be divided theologically from who Christ is. That We can be united in the reality of his life, death, resurrection. We can share the same creeds wherever possible, especially the ancient creeds. We can find shared mission, which has been a real heavy emphasis in the modern church, um, we can find different ways that we can serve as the hands and feet of Christ, and you know it's in those—I don't want to say small—certainly uh, not insignificant places—that we sort of see this ecumenical unity of the church lived out. Though, you know, if you've been in the church for a long time, I—I I, I don't think you should beat yourself up if this isn't a phrase or a term that doesn't come readily to mind. I'm not sure that we speak of it in these words that often. Um, But uh, this is present even today in the creeds that we share that are shared by other denominations. We are intentional about it at a higher level, though we may not sometimes talk about it.
1: I think that there's a sense in which it sounds strange, maybe even foolish, to profess our oneness in Christ when... With a quick count in our own community, I can come up with about 12 different denominational churches. And so what does oneness mean in the midst of that kind of division? What does unity mean in the midst of that kind of separation? And and I think as we've talked about this, it essentially means recognizing the differences without letting the differences be divisions. And so where are the places that our various faiths overlap and that we can work or worship together, that we can pray together, that we can study together, that we can take a step toward recognizing that in our own ways, in our own traditions, in our own places, we all seek to be faithful to Jesus Christ. We, we do that with a variety of understandings of what that means, and yet we try to, whenever possible, meet there, stepping outside of our own box and recognizing that Christ is present to all the various followers in all the various traditions in some way. Now, That doesn't mean we agree on things. Obviously, with that kind of division among us, we're going to have some significant disagreements. But where can we work together? Where can we serve together? And how can we seek that oneness that Christ has promised us? And I, th- I think you're right, Michael. I think mission is a place where we can, I hate to say set theology aside, but I think it's where we can at least set theological differences aside. We don't have to agree on theology to paint a house together together or to serve soup together, or to, um, you know, hand out clothing together. And so mission has been, uh, outreach has been a place where churches have worked really well together. You know, know, there are soup kitchens and homeless shelters where Catholics serve right alongside Southern Baptists next to Pentecostals and Episcopalians and Presbyterians and non-denominational community church people. And and that spectrum would represent tremendous differences and conflicts historically, but those get left at the door so that people who need help can get help. And we think of that as just cooperating, but that's the heart of ecumenical, and it's what we pursue in spite of our, our various vantage points of the faith. And I think mission is is a place that it's been easier. It has been easier for us to do in some ways.
0: Right. I I do think that there's an opportunity in the service aspect of the gospel to recognize that the hands and feet of Christ don't always need to be arguing about the small theological differences that sometimes uh, get navigated, especially I'm thinking uh, when I say small, I mean um, within like the mainline church, right? If you were really to get deep in it with a pastor from a a Lutheran or Methodist conversation, that there's going to be some some friendly bantering back and forth. There's going to be some places where there's disagreements. But fundamentally, when it comes down to what it means to be called, the grace of Jesus Christ receives salvation, right? Sometimes we look for fights. (laughs) I think out of human nature, we look for where the differences and the boundary lines are instead of looking for the invitations and opportunities to find real connection and and unity. And I, I do think that the mission sort of serves Aspect of the church is a, a wonderful invitation for us to look beyond some of the stuff that we become boundary definers. And it enables us to walk through a gate in which we get to be Christ uh, like. Givers and, and fundamentally that that 's the kind of movement that the gospel calls us to i, I do think what 's interesting though, as we look at the sort of ecumenical conversation is that it has morphed and changed because yes, you do have places of service where where groups are serving uh, together because there 's a kind of unity in that there 's a kind of efficiency in that, and churches getting to work together to To serve a common goal. But in some of the modern sort of mainline church era, we've also seen a different kind of ecumenical, I think. An ecumenical not so much based in theology or even the outgrowth of theology, but in some cases, necessity. You'll have cities and congregations that that really can't make it as their own anymore they for whatever reason have declined in membership and so you find Lutheran and Presbyterian and Methodist congregations joining sometimes they they find some interesting ways of doing that where they're sort of trying to do both at the same time or or sometimes one will become the dominant form uh, over another in that place, uh, how, the lots of different ways in which that happens. But we sometimes find ourselves talking about those moments as ecumenical, and there's a sense in which they are. The the fact that our differences are not so great that you can't find a common core, People that churches can't join together. Uh, as worshiping people of faith. But there's also a sense of kind of determinism in that a little bit, a sense where we see an effect and we find the differences not so great to keep us from sort of taking that next efficient step. And I'm not sure if this is good or bad. I'm not sure that I have anything of value related to say about it, but I do think sometimes it, it becomes a practical kind of ecumenical conversation. Well, what do you do when you have different churches and they can't make it without each other, so, so they find ways to work together and maybe even in some cases become one together? It's an interesting sort of new problem that we've encountered in the relatively uh, you know, near past.
1: One of the things that those kind of struggles do is to sometimes force us to look past historic divisions. And so we have in the Presbytery several instances in which Presbyterians, Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans work together, and they have formed congregations that include both or in some cases all three of those denominations. And they They rotate pastors, there'll be a Presbyterian pastor, and when that person leaves, the next pastor will be Methodist or Lutheran. And so that kind of cooperation has been essential in places where population is dwindling and church population is struggling, because where there perhaps at one point were two or three churches that were functional and independent that simply can't be done anymore, and so uh, it, it pushes us past those boundaries. You know, we live in an era in which it can't be assumed that people are going to seek out churches. It, it, we live in an era which there's, uh, to some extent, some increasing pushback on the church from the culture. And as that happens, one of the benefits in that has been the historic places of separation are getting blurred. And and now we're just glad to see somebody who calls themselves Christian, whether they call themselves Methodist Christian or Catholic Christian. That doesn't really matter. We're glad to have some coworkers and and some people who come from the same place, so to speak, that we do in regard to belief. And I, I think you know there are some certain challenges to that, but I. I think in that there's also a great deal of invitation. And we see it not only um, nationally, we see it globally as denominations begin to partner with sister denominations. Uh, for the Presbyterians, those partnerships are very strong in places like Korea, in parts of Africa, where we now have partnerships and relationships with Presbyterians from a very different part of the world who are doing things like sending missionaries to us, who are helping us think through some of our own struggles based on what they're learning in their own context. And and this kind of globalism is good for the church. It, it fuels all of us to help one another, to learn from one another, to encourage one another. Things like... Um, the global day of communion, global days of prayer, uh, certain celebrations that we have throughout the year. These are great opportunities for us to remember that regardless of how connected we might be to our own church, that is a very, very, very small piece of a much larger picture. And it, it is good to remember that we need those others in order to be the church together. Christians
0: have historically uh, been willing to confess that the, the church exists in lots of places seen and unseen. And as Reformed people, we, we actually have, uh, in some of John Calvin's own institutes, we, we have some really sort of powerful statements about the fact that the, the Spirit of God often works in secret and unknown ways. and And so it holds then that if God is working in places both seen and unseen, that what is required to be Christian is the humble vision to say that God is often working in places that I don't know or don't even understand or or don't have the vantage to see. And it's that kind of spirit that I think must enliven those ecumenical and and in our own time and days global kinds of conversations, uh, just the willingness to say, uh, though we have worshipped in this way, though we have formulated our theology in this way, though it has sort of led us down this road, we're, we're willing to engage in real partnerships, to really listen, to really be engaged and to learn and to grow. And you brought up early in the conversation, Clinton, I think it's important to to really reflect seriously about there are some Christian families, denominations, uh, that are more comfortable with that as a frame, and there are others that are less, and and you just sort of need to be aware of that. There are some denominations that are much more suspect of the worshiping traditions, of the theology, of even the mission. There are some Christian Protestant denominations that will not do mission with other Christian churches because of how they come to it. They're, by definition, skeptical of, if not antithetical to, that sort of ecumenical idea. And, you know, lots of churches get there from different places. Some are just so focused on evangelism and outreach and culture. They're, they're so vested in reaching people that the idea of connecting with other churches is really not on their radar. Some get their very thoughtfully, theologically, that that there's a line that cannot be crossed, and since you stand on the other side of the line, we we can't partner. Uh, There are uh, really an innumerable number of places where the church can find itself getting off track, finding ourselves sort of divided by lines, but I think the modern church has more and more found itself looking to find those points of connection, and that makes sense. When, When you figure even in just America, our culture is so now fragmented and, and stratified in so many different ways, right? I mean, you can uh, for for a long time you could be a person who had a hobby, but now you can be a person who who has that hobby talking with people all around the country, right? Maybe you were just a model railroader, and and you know you used to get magazines or whatever. Now there's Facebook groups about one particular era of model. A railroading, a particular uh, engine that people, you know, spend all their time talking about. We, we can become so specific. There's a sense, I think, in which. Christians have understood that there's this present need to have connections greater than ourselves, that that we should be united by things more than just personal preference, more than just the place where we live. We should recognize that Christ is big enough to encompass this entire world. In fact, not just the world that we have today, but the world of all time. And, and so if that is true, there's this sort of modern understanding more and more in the church that we must be open to the expression of the faith in other places. and Not that we always agree, not that we're going to always find ourselves on the same side of every issue, but recognizing that maybe some of those differences uh, that have historically divided us should no longer have the same force that they have had historically. Maybe we can find some unique and creative connections where we've only seen disconnection in the past.
1: I think realistically, Michael, each time a church or denomination has split, a couple of things have been at play. First, there has been a disagreement, a a strong disagreement to get to the point of separation. And secondly, somewhere in that disagreement, it's been painful. These are not things that happen easily. They come with hurt feelings. They come with the sense of that either one of the groups is wrong or is quote-unquote unfaithful or has slipped or is being too rigid or whatever the issue is, but but there are real disagreements and real pain in each and every one of those separations. And so it takes, I think, a lot of time, a lot of grace to then work your way past those feelings to say, okay, Regardless of how we got here, you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, and we profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's talk about where we can find an overlap in that and work together. Maybe it's something as simple as we look, we're praying for your congregation. You know one of the ways we experience it in this area is um which I would say is pretty good. I would say this area has a pretty strong ecumenical sense from most of the churches in the region. And and I very much appreciate this because when someone visits First Press and they say, well, I, I like it here, but it's not it's not really for me. I'm more this, or I'm more that, or I really like this a little better, then I can generally say, you ought to visit this church or that church because that that's a good place and you will be well-received there and you can grow in your faith there and they preach the gospel there in their own way and it it that sense of that sense of cooperation versus competition is helpful i think to the overall body of christ and what it forces churches and pastors to do which is helpful is think beyond our own walls instead of thinking oh we might have lost a presbyterian i think well this isn't a person who's going to be best served by what we do they might flourish more in this other place and and therefore I have to trust the other place to receive them, and and that's that's a great gift to be able to practice the faith in that kind of environment. Uh, not always easy, but I think I, I think genuinely helpful uh, in terms of the the picture of remembering the picture that that we first press is not the body of Christ. We the people who follow Jesus are the body of Christ, and this is our small part of doing it, and we have the way that we do it, but we don't have it all figured out, and there are lots of other people following Jesus, and, and they are our brothers and sisters, even though we might disagree with them in some places and do some things differently.
0: Yeah, we as a church often find ourselves struggling with the difference between our institutional realities and our theological footing. You you know, lots of times, especially when pastors are talking about ecumenical, they're thinking about institutional kinds of conversations, whereas, you know, the Reformed Church in America and the PCUSA are in full communion, and so we can share pastors with one another because our committees met and we had conversations and they all agreed on things and they signed on their lines. There's a kind of ecumenical in that, but, you know, I really find the the greatest strength and even in some cases the the greatest hope in ecumenical conversations find their way from the bottom up from congregations and and people of faith finding real and meaningful connections with one another doing the faith and uh, every sunday or or nearly every sunday we return often to the apostles creed and you know we've certainly both i think fielded questions from folks asking you know that part in the creed when we say believe in the holy catholic church uh, especially people who maybe found themselves leaving the Catholic Church at some point, have asked, you know, what's going on with that? Why are you professing faith in the Catholic Church? Isn't that another denomination, another group of Christians? And, you know, that would be a sort of institutional view. When we're speaking of it in the creed, we're, we're speaking theologically. Catholic is a... Is a capital C. It means universal, a church, the idea of, of those who believe in Jesus Christ. And that extends regardless of the sign or image or name on the door of a congregation, where Christ is being preached, where the sacraments are being observed, where a congregation gathers to be discipled in the image of Jesus Christ. That In those places, we believe that the church is present, and, and so we seek not just if, with our creeds, but really with our service, with our community presence, with our awareness of what other Christians are doing, to find ways to to make that unity real and and to make it substantial. And I think it matters— when churches have good relationships with one another, where pastors have a sense of cooperation, be- because it's not just symbolic of unity, it fundamentally reminds all of us that we don't have at all Put together. We don't have the one vision of who Jesus Christ is and that ultimately the more and more that we have together, the better an image that we have. And quite frankly, the better that we're demonstrating to a watching world, the kind of power that the gospel has to hold people who are different with different worldviews and understandings and even in some cases values, and yet we can be held together by the power of Christ. If you've ever been in a congregation for a while, you know how hard that is in a congregation. Well, the ecumenical reality is that that happens more than just within congregations. We're held by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every Christian of every culture and time and place. And, and that is not because of our strength or because we've worked out the details, but because Jesus is strong enough to hold us together. And, and we should always strive for that to be true in our communities.
1: Yeah, we could certainly go on to say this in a variety of ways, and we would largely be saying the same thing but I, I would encourage each of us to keep in mind that if you interact with a congregation who never looks outside of that congregation's experience for the faith, doesn't partner with other churches, doesn't find itself in missions that involve other places of the world, if. I think there is a danger in walling oneself off. It is important to focus on how to be the best congregation we can be, but that's not our entire task. Because as a part of that task, we inherit also the task of working with the larger body of Christ to be the church, not just a church, but the church. And I would be very cautious of a congregation that is closed to the idea of working together or is somehow convinced that it stands above all the other versions of the faith with supreme knowledge and practice. I I think that is a dangerous kind of environment, and I I would encourage all congregations to, um, to work hard to be involved in this this pursuit of unity. Again, it does not mean we're all going to agree on everything. It, it does not mean we're going to be able to work together and worship together in every instance, but it does mean we recognize one another, we try to encourage and support one another, even in spite of those things. And I I think it is vital. I think it is inherent to what it means to try and be the church in a world that is unfortunately divided even within the Christian faith.
0: I want to be careful here, Clint, to not talk shop too much, but I, I wonder if this is an experience that maybe some just don't have access to. There, there are moments when a pastor might get asked to uh, offer a scripture reading in another church 's worship service maybe that 's a wedding or or maybe it 's a funeral. you know there are different moments in which churches lives and and church leadership crosses in and in those moments sometimes if you 're sitting in the pews, it may just seem like natural well, of course, that person 's going to get to do that reading, and this other pastor is is going to do the sermon, whatever. But I, I just want to encourage you, this is certainly true in our area. There are moments in which invitations get offered where a pastor will do something in collaboration with another that is not necessarily, putting in you know, uh, air quotes here, normal. I, I, there's sometimes some real depth of grace offered. Like theologically, our groups say we're not supposed to get along very well. Uh, structurally, our people don't really talk to each other. But there are some beautiful, thin moments where we get to have real partnerships, where we stand next to each other, where we get to shake each other's hand in a, a way that is more than just just sort of a common courtesy. There, there's some moments even I've seen in my short time where you think that is deep and beautiful because if we were going to be honest – you know, we might fall off on a whole lot of different areas, but in this moment we can really honor one another's faith and and discipleship. And so that may not be readily apparent from the pew, but it happens. And when it happens, it's, it's beautiful and it's deep. And, you know, I think we should aspire to to find
1: that wherever we can. I've personally benefited from that in some tremendous ways. One of the first weddings that I did in this congregation, in this building when I moved up here, involved the Catholic priest at the time who came here and participated in the service. And since, I have had the opportunity to be in that church participating in a service. I've had the opportunity to participate at the at a funeral in the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, which is you know, by their own theological boundaries, very strict on that kind of things, and and to live out those partnerships because I have met with those pastors in prayer groups, or seen them around the community, or know the people who go to those congregations and attend those those uh, those places. You know, is remarkable to be able to do those things and to say, "Yeah, look, Catholic Presbyterian, we're extremely different. Missouri Synod Lutheran Presbyterian, we don't agree on a lot, but we can do a funeral together. We we can, we can minister to this family together. We can celebrate this wedding together. Those are the those are the best parts of what we mean when we use this word ecumenical." And I, I think as the church continues to grow, hopefully one of the things that we will see happen is that these various splits that have caused all of these divisions and different churches may begin to heal. And I I don't mean necessarily that we'll go back to having only a few denominations. I I think that ship has sailed. But I hope that we'll be better able to cooperate, to recognize and, and celebrate one another, even in spite of the things that that aren't the same.
0: And previously, you sort of offered that caution. I, I think wisely that if you're going to be in a congregation that doesn't ever look outside the walls, that, that's a place to be thoughtful, to be reflective of that. That's not always a very good sign. I, I want to sort of add my own caution to that, and that is, there's this strange thing that sort of exists over the church. You know, I, I'm always intrigued um, I, when. Barnes & Noble was down the road and I could just go sort of browse a bookstore, I would always find myself finding the religion and spirituality section, and within there, there's a whole section dedicated to Christian books, and what struck me was how many of those books were really just written for sort of a broad Christian audience. That they would, on the face of them, be ecumenical. That they're not written for Presbyterians or they're not written for Lutherans. They're just sort of written for Christians. And and the upside of that is, um, they generally didn't get bogged down in theological things. Right? What's your understanding of salvation, or, or what does it mean to be a, a person who proclaims the gospel, right? Some, some of these things that might define one group from another, they, they just wouldn't be existent in those books. I think the danger of those books, though, and maybe the caution in sort of the larger Christian commercial market, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, is that sometimes we fail to recognize and to live out the, the particular deep values of the faith that we are born into. In, in other words, there's something meaningful And the fact that you're part of a congregation rooted in the values of Presbyterian Reformed theology. We don't get it all right, but there are some things that we emphasize that are strong and true and beautiful and good. And I think that we should never give up the values that we have in the name of sort of watering it down so that we can all agree. So, so if you read one of those books, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, I recommend, hey, let read another one that is directly connected to the church family. Maybe it helps you learn about what it means to be Reformed, or maybe you uh, read a, a study of Scripture done by someone looking from that vantage. It, there's real good that comes when you understand the voice of the people with whom you worship and serve with. And you know, I grew up on, on that other side where denominations weren't really a thing, and I think what I found is there's deep, rich minds and wells in our history. We, we have some very wise men and women who have come before us, and we would be fools to not glean the wisdom of those within our own church family, because I, I don't think it does, by nature, divide us from others. I, I think it provides for us a a new set of gifts that we get to offer to the larger church. And if we're willing to receive their gifts and we're willing to offer our own, that is, I think, the heart of ecumenical.
1: I think at its best, being ecumenical offers us a chance to put aside our differences, but not our distinctives. In, In other words, we don't have to abandon our own tradition. We don't have to abandon our own convictions to work with other people. We simply have to work not to let those things become barriers to cooperating with people who may land in a different place on those things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think at at our best, ecumenical offers us a chance to be fully who we are and cooperate with people who are different. And And I think that matters because that adds to the richness of if we were all the same, we couldn't learn from each other and so in in interacting with people who come from different places and land in different places, I think we all then have an opportunity to grow uh, not only in our own faith but grow together as the church and so. I think that's the best of what it means to be ecumenical.
0: So we you know we covered a lot of ground. There's a lot of senses in which we could talk about being ecumenical, but ultimately, you know the practical upshot of this is relatively simple. We seek to be faithful where we're planted, we seek to grow as disciples, and then we seek to hold our hands open so that we might be willing to give and to receive from those others who are loving and serving in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know one doesn't so much need to seek that out as much as just be willing to, uh, to enter into those relationships in moments in which it's possible. And certainly that is on offer here at First Pres in lots of our different sort of partnerships and service opportunities. And uh, hopefully, as those interactions with other Christians happen, it, you will be open and uh, willing to not only learn from them, but to offer whatever gifts we have to share.
1: I think it's possible that this isn't a word that you've heard a lot of, but I hope, having heard it described, you maybe think you've seen it. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that it's something, if you've been a part of First Press, you have experienced something ecumenical, though it largely is possible it wasn't called that. It's very likely that we didn't use that word, but I do think we try to be intentional about living it out, and I hope, as you've heard this discussion, you could point to some things And say, oh, yeah, I I see that in some of what we do around here, because I, I think it is an important word, though the word itself is less important than the practice of it.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for the conversation, and uh, we look forward as we continue on next week, we'll continue to see uh, this series on Jesus' jargon and looking at some of these words that hopefully, like this word, uh, maybe we don't use it in our common vernacular, but hopefully it's lived out in what we do and say. So thanks for joining us for the conversation. Uh, We'll see you next week.